Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, hey, are you awake? We're continuing our month of breakfast bakes by reviewing our Queen Amon. Just how difficult was a recipe with a whole section devoted to a butter block? We'll also eat cookies for breakfast when we whip up Dory Greenspan's breakfast biscotti and check in with some new titles for the Preheated Podcast Book Club. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, I am um, eating some lovely cookies called mocha ricotta puffs right now. Oh, it sounds just very elegant. It is very elegant. It comes from Dory Greenspan's cookbook called Cookies. And I was thinking you and I almost got together and saw her when she was in Seattle, but I think we, we dithered a bit too long and the event sold out. She is a hot topic. Yeah, that's right. It was at some kind of culinary bookstore up here in Seattle, and she was promoting that cookbook, which I think came out last fall. Yes. The Book Larder was the cook the book bookstore, yes. which I think is a fabulous name. And the book is called Dory's Cookies. And I wondered what you do when you get a new cookbook. How do you decide what the first thing is that you're going to bake? <laughs> This is a really great question. Um, I'm a huge fan of those little post-it sticky tabs. Mm -hmm. And I will usually read the cookbook pretty much cover to cover. And then by the time I am done, it's bristling with those uh, little stickies all over the place. And I've I've usually identified one or two that I want to start with. But I'll go for years before I've, you know, taken all those stickies um, out of the book. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I, you know, I treated myself. I got this book. So I was so excited when it came in the mail. And I'm somewhat similar to you. I don't read the book cover to cover. I I read all of the intro material. I love the information from the author about why they wrote this book. And I like reading their techniques and tools that they use and things that they think are important. And, um, then I use those little post-it things as well, and I tab my recipes. So that's funny. Yep. We do it. So I had all of these recipes tagged. And then in our Facebook group, when people were introducing themselves, listener Heather made the comment, I love she gave herself the term a kitchen putterer. <laughs> and I thought that was so cute. I just have this image of her in her kitchen just, you know, sweeping up flour and rolling out dough. And um, she said that she loves to give herself a challenge and go to the refrigerator or the pantry and find an item and then build a meal or a menu around it. Yes, I saw that and, one too. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's fascinating. So I went to my refrigerator, I opened it up, and the one sort of unplanned item that was kind of languishing in a back corner and looking like it might have to be tossed soon was ricotta cheese, okay. which I had used in a pasta recipe. Yes. And so I pulled it out, and uh, of course, I checked the expiration date, as and you then laughed, me. And then <laughs> just laughed in the face of that expiration date. <laughs> I just lifted the lid and made sure there was nothing green and furry growing on the cheese. 
things. And I thought to myself, well, there's no chance there's going to be a recipe with ricotta cheese, but what the heck, I'll check. And sure enough, here's a recipe called mocha ricotta puffs. There you go. And it had cocoa, it had espresso, it had ricotta cheese, um, obviously flour, sugar, eggs. And I thought, this is such a perfect thing. So that was my first bake from her cookbook. And I made those. It was a really interesting flavor combination, um, you know, ricotta cheese, espresso, and cocoa is not something I think I've ever had in a dessert before. I can't even picture what these look like. In my mind, I'm thinking like something really kind of airy, like a, like a macaroon, but but maybe not. You know, her picture in her book and the pictures, the photos in this book, by the way, are just absolutely stunning. Um, they look to me almost like, you know, the crown of a muffin. Yeah. Yeah. They almost look to me like muffin crowns. They're sort of that light brown and they're kind of puffy. Um, when I made them, they were dark brown. And, you know, it, the recipe has, I think, either two thirds or three quarters cup of cocoa. So I wondered if maybe she used a different kind of cocoa than I used. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, cocoa she's, powder is pretty dark. That's what I thought. And she she's a big fan of the, I think it was the Valrona or the Guitard. She definitely likes the high-end cocoa powder. So I'm not sure if that's just a trick of lighting or if for whatever reason my cocoa powder was um, darker. But mine weren't that light brown color. They were a dark brown color, but they still looked, I would say, a lot like a muffin top or a muffin crown, which I thought was kind of pretty. They, they weren't um, as high as a macaroon. Were they more chewy then? They were chewy. And did they mm -hmm. taste cheesy? You didn't taste the cheese, but you definitely tasted something different. Okay. Yeah. Wh okay. <laughs> well, you know, what the, you know what's going through my head is that I know in the past, um, you and I, a bonding experience for us is that we both did the South Beach diet. Right. And <laughs> For anyone who's done that diet, the first like two or three weeks, I think it is, you're on a really restricted eating plan. And the one thing that kind of gets you through is that you get dessert every night. But what it is, I mean, and I use that term loosely because here's what it is. It's like a cup of ricotta cheese with some kind of flavoring like mm -hmm. lemon zest or mm -hmm. cocoa powder. And as you're talking about this, I remember there was like one variation where you put in like a little espresso powder. So I'm thinking to myself, this sounds like my first two weeks on the South Beach diet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and obviously, listeners, based on what you hear us talking about every week, Stefan and I are no longer on the South <laughs> Beach diet. <laughs> no longer on the beach. Nope, nope, nope. Um, yeah, any any diet that restricts fruit for me, I had a real challenge with. I just, I, I didn't feel right about it. So yeah, that was a yeah. weird thing about it. But it's yeah, every night you would end with this ricotta mm -hmm. dessert. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was interesting, and it was kind of I, I appreciated the tip from Heather because I can kind of get overwhelmed with new recipe books, and you know, when you look down and you have eight million little post its, it's like, well, at this point you've tagged almost every recipe. So where to begin? Again. So that yeah. was, I just thought that was a really fun thing is kind of start with, do you have some, one of the key ingredients and is it sitting here in your house and you don't, I didn't have to go to the store for anything. I had everything else in the recipe. So that was really nice. I love that. And that's actually um, something I'm going to talk about when we intro our breakfast biscotti here in a few minutes. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm feeling good about that one. So, all right. Well, we are going to review our queen Amon, I think now I've said it enough times, I'm feeling more confident. Queen Amon, this was the recipe from Bon Appetit that when I printed it out was 
two pages and included the delightful section heading, Butter Block. <laughs> I'm in. Any any recipe that yeah, has the, a, those wor- those a whole category, Butter mm-hmm. Block. Yeah, those words were music to my ears as well. So one thing that I wanted to start with is we had talked last episode that I had not ever eaten this this pastry. And you had the great, great suggestion that I probably should go out to a bakery and order one. And, um, of course, that didn't happen. So <laughs> my schedule being what it is, I really went into this one blind. And I felt fairly confident these steps, although there are many of them, they're not extraordinarily difficult. There's also not a lot of ingredients here. It's pretty straightforward yeast dough. You've got a big section of butter and um, and then you, you kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, so let's see what what to say here. Um, so you have two, two uh, pages of instruction. You do need to really think ahead. So I made I blocked out a whole Saturday to make my dough, and then it rested overnight, and I baked them off on Sunday morning. So this is not one you can just do spur of the moment. No. So, but all of that said, I actually wrote down my hands-on time with this recipe, and it was about an hour to an hour and a half of actual mm-hmm. hands-on. I have to be active. I'm not just doing something else while it's resting in the in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Um But by that same token, I didn't feel like I could be gone from the house for very long because I was having to come back and check and do different different steps. But Mm -hmm. um, so let's see. (laughs) Thoughts? What did you think about the process of actually making it? Um, I had I had so much fun. And that mm -hmm. was really you know how they say that, you know, this research has found that if you do something novel, your brain loves it. And so you're Mm -hmm. just, you know, you're making all these new connections. And um, I felt I felt very invigorated all day long making it. And, you know, what was Mm -hmm. it time for next? And I've never made a butter block. And and um, I felt confident because I have made a lot of yeast doughs and the the dough was initially responding exactly as I would expect it to. It was Mm -hmm. doing the correct rises. I was punching it down. It would rise again like that. That all worked really delightfully for me. Um, and then what you're doing is incorporating this block of butter and sugar into your dough and, and rolling it out and then folding it up and chilling it and then rolling it back out. So you're making really flaky layers or that's the intention. Yeah. And just to take a quick little sidestep over into the language lab, um, <laughs> this particular dough, I'm not sure if this showed up in the Bon Appetit recipe, but in doing my research, I saw it in some other recipes. When you do dough this way, it's called laminated dough. Oh. And it gets its name from how it's made. So laminating dough actually refers to that process of folding the butter into the dough multiple times to create these very thin alternating layers of butter and dough. And um, the article that I was looking at said there can be as many as 80 layers. I certainly did not have that many, but I definitely had a lot of layers, which I thought was just beautiful. Um, So puff pastry is the simplest form of laminated dough. Um, Croissants take it one step further because they have the yeast and the milk, and so there's more of a rise. And then um, danishes, palmier cookies, queen amon, and sticky buns are some other items that are commonly made with laminated dough. So That's just really helpful. kind of fun for people. If you see that word, when I first saw it, I thought, uh, laminate, like my kitchen counter? No, that doesn't sound appealing. <laughs> yeah, like you're going to feed it through the plastic coating. I, yes. I was no a little thanks. nervous about that. No, no thanks. No thanks. Um, I'm glad you had good experience with the prep. I actually, one one little bone I had to pick with this recipe um, 
I like it when a recipe writer will tell you what to do if your item doesn't turn out as they tell you. So for example, they tell you when you're first making your yeast dough to, you know, cover your bowl with plastic wrap and let it rise until doubled in size, one to one and a half hours. Right. And so that worked fine for me. And then they say, punch it down, knead it lightly a few times, cover it again with your plastic wrap, and this time chill it in the refrigerator until it's again doubled in size, 45 to 60 minutes. Okay. So I remember even as I was putting it in the fridge, thinking to myself, that's odd that it's going to double in size in the fridge because, you know, the, the cool will kind of slow that process down. Well, so sure enough, at 45 minutes, I pulled it out and mine had not doubled in size. Um, I let it go another 15 minutes. It had mm, added maybe, I don't know, 10, 20%, but it was not doubled in size. And I wish recipes would say, um, if you reach an hour and it still has not doubled in size, don't worry, continue or let it sit in for another hour. This is really important. And I just don't know whether that was super important or not. I just plowed ahead because, you know, light was fading. And, yeah. <laughs> and but I, I don't want to be up at midnight punching my dough down. It's a good point if at some point they were just like, you know what, if this hasn't risen, then you got to start over because somewhere along the way, something, something happened. happened. Yeah. And that does bring um, us to a, a good point for me, too, that I had no trouble with the, the raising and, and the dough growing. Um, I had success in the fridge and out. But after that, so ultimately, I would not call my pastries flaky. Oh, and so I'm wondering where in the process something broke down for me. Oh, um, so you get to the end of all of your rolling and your buttering and and all of these steps, and then you're very it's very meticulous. I used my kitchen ruler so much in this recipe because they're very specific about rolling to the certain size and the certain height, and I felt very confident. I was I was right on with my measurements. I and, did too, and I watched the video for this recipe. Okay. Because when I first read the recipe, I thought like, my gosh, there's a lot of math in this. I mean, yes. there's rectangles, there's squares, there's folding things in thirds, yes. you know. And so I found the video to be incredibly helpful. I watched the video that went with the recipe, the Bon Appetit video. And then I watched another video. I can't remember who did it, but someone else had a video. And one thing they did that I actually um, borrowed and thought worked really well was they used their kitchen ruler and they would actually draw the dimensions using a Sharpie onto their parchment paper and then flip the parchment paper over so your dough is not touching your ink, but you can still see the outline of it through the paper. And I did that for my butter block. Okay. I yes. did too. And I found that yes. extremely helpful. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, right. So there's that measurement. And then you have to, um, when you put the butter into the dough, they want you to, to roll it out to a certain specification um, at that step. And then at the end, they ask you to cut it into um, individual four by three inch um rectangles that yes. you're going to then put into the um, the muffin tin. And I did that, and um, I still had quite a bit of dough left over. So put oh. that aside for a moment. Um, so then you you take your rectangle, you fold up the corners, and you, you put it in the, the muffin tin, and then it goes in the fridge overnight. Mine, at that point, did not grow at all. I was expecting them to rise more overnight. No, and, mine didn't either. And nothing happened to the point that I thought – I wonder if they're using the word jumbo muffin tin. Like, I, I felt that mine would have easily fit into my normal size muffin tin. Mm, 
Interesting. Because they were so small in my jumbo, I thought, oh, these are going to then rise again right. overnight. And right. that they didn't, and that also my I would not call my pastry flaky, made me think something went amiss along the way here. Mm. Well, mine did not rise either, but I have to admit I, I ran into a little bit of a problem. So despite your um, wonderful warning last week of telling me I needed jumbo muffin tins and that you had ordered them online because you didn't have them, I thought I had them and I made the mistake of not going to check. So I got everything ready. I pulled out my muffin tins, and they were the regular size muffin tins. Okay. And I decided at that point that, you know, (laughs) I was just going to use what I had. I wasn't going to go out and try and find jumbo muffin tins because I rarely bake muffins either. And so it would really be kind of a one-time use thing. Yeah. And I also thought, knowing how much I love this dessert, that it might be smart for me to figure out how to make a smaller one because, you know. (laughs) Portion control. Yeah, portion control. So um, it did require some math, and that flummoxed me a little bit because the measurements are so precise. But I actually made – so my regular-sized muffin tins have a dozen on each. So I actually made 24 small ones. And when I folded my squares, which were smaller than 4 by 3 to fit them into, you know, the regular-sized muffin tins – They fit in there very nicely. They did not rise overnight. They did rise when I cooked them. So they sort of puffed out over the muffin tin. And I thought they were a lovely little size. I mean, it didn't help for portion control because I just ended up eating like two or three (laughs) instead of one. (laughs) But um, And I did cut back on my baking time uh, because I thought, well, these are smaller. They're recommending 25 to 30 minutes. So I checked mine at 20 minutes. And there were some that looked good. There were some that I thought still looked a little doughy. And so I ended up pulling it at 25 minutes. And I thought that was long enough. Yeah, that's what I had hoped was going to happen in my jumbo tin, that they were going to then, you know, expand to fill up that tin and and be kind of this um, puffy puffy mm-hmm. thing in the end. So the, yeah. the taste of them ultimately was fine. Um, it's a very sweet and also kind of a salty. That was a little bit unexpected. Um, yeah. A little bit of a salty treat. There is almost nothing better than than creeping down to the kitchen when the house is still quiet and putting in fresh bread and just having that aroma be the first thing that greets you on a weekend morning. I, I dearly love that. Um, but, you know, for something that I had to spend a whole day day on I needed to love it I needed to love it and either (laughs) something went wrong or these just are not my favorite pastry so um, yeah I'm interested to see if other people had similar issues if or if maybe somewhere along the way here my dough my yeast just stopped or gave it gave up gave it (laughs) yeah I so I love the salt sugar butter combination. So that's what really appealed to me on this. I did make one small modification. Um, When you do your final, you know, fold and cut, you actually sprinkle the um, raw dough with a quarter cup of sugar. Yeah, more sugar. And and Mm -hmm. kind of press it in and you want that sugar to caramelize. And I added some salt to that sugar because I just love the salt so much. And I know when I've had it in pastry shops before, I can tell they've even used like the flake salt. Oh, nice. Really taste it. Um, I had a similar thought as you though, Stefan. I mean, obviously I love this pastry. I picked it because I love it so much. 
But there's kind of an expression in my house. There have been times where I've had something at a restaurant or at a particular store, and I think to myself, well, I'm buying this all the time. I should just figure out how to make it at home. And then when I go to make it at home, it's either so labor-intensive or just, you know, I have to get so many different ingredients that I don't normally have. Um, I mean, the last time this happened, I'm thinking to myself, it happened with fresh spring rolls because my husband and my daughter both love those. But, you know, you have to soak the rice paper. You yes. have to make the noodles. You yes. have to cut everything up into these tiny little matchstick precision-like pieces. And I will say to them, hey, I hope you guys like this dish, but I just want you to know you're never having it again. <laughs> Because it was too much work. And so I cracked myself up when I was done with this. And then I had them the next morning. And they were like, oh, how special. Because I was serving them on a Monday morning. It was like, oh, you know, baked goods on a Monday morning. And I said, you know, I hope you guys like this because we're never going to have it again. Um, I do think it would be really cool. You know how some families, like for the holidays, someone will have like their special cinnamon roll or their special orange roll or some sort of like Christmas morning item? Yep, absolutely. I could see wanting to do this level of work for that. And in the morning, it is just pop it in the oven and cook it. That's true. As long as your day before um, you have time to spend in the kitchen rolling out your butter block, um, then I think it's okay. But yeah, I think this would be very much a special occasion. This is not going to be a regular item I'm going to be baking, but that is not going to stop me from trying it every time I see it in a pastry shop. No, and I agree. There's just definitely some things that you love. And what's special about them is you're only having them when you are out and about at a bakery or, you know, at your spring roll place or that type of thing. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this was well, but none of that detracts from the fact that I had a lot of fun making this. I did. I was just so energized the whole day and like, what was next? And, you know, I'm taking pictures of my butter block in the fridge. Yeah, Yeah, it's fun. It's fun doing something new. It absolutely is. And it made me appreciate things like my croissants all the more as well, you know, and to say, hey, you know, that's why it's a I've never tried to make a croissant at home. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this may be why. Yeah. Well, another breakfast item that we'd like to introduce to you, and hopefully you'll bake along with us this week, is a breakfast biscotti. And this recipe comes from Dory Greenspan and the aforementioned book, Dory's Cookies. Um, And if you like that cookbook, Dory's Cookies, just so you know, there is on Facebook a group called the Food 52 Baking Club, okay. and or maybe it's the Baking Cookbook Club. Anyway, for April, they have picked Dory's Cookies. And so if you're interested in that particular cookbook or baking along, um, there's some people trying out her cookie recipes, and it's really fun to see the pictures and, you know, see what people are saying about their experience baking her cookies. I love biscotti. I used to make it all the time. I mean, I think I made it probably once a week for several years. And then I don't know what happened. I just stopped making it. I think I might have just gotten burned out on it. Yeah, right. I am not historically been a huge biscotti person. But here's what I love about this recipe. And it it, um, touches back to something we had mentioned earlier in this episode. I have everything for this recipe right now. And I love that. You know, I have the dried cranberries. I have the nuts. I make a granola almost every week for my husband and I to eat. So I've got that. You know, I just love being able to just go to the cupboard. I've got it. I can make it. So Me too. Me too. And what I also, you know, remembering what I love about biscotti is – 
They are a dried out, crunchy cookie. And I, I, I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah, they're so supposed to be. Right. They're supposed to be that way. So they're just as good on day one as they are on day four or day five. And um, in fact, uh, listener Kobe made some biscotti for me recently. She dipped hers in chocolate and sliced almonds, which was a lovely addition. And I would just have one every morning with my breakfast. And you can dip it into your coffee and it's nice and crunchy. And again, it was just as good on day one as it was on day four or day five. They they hold up really well. So it's kind of a fun thing to make. And I think that's even part of the instructions Dory calls out here. She's like, you don't have to get too stressed about how you're storing these. Like, just keep them on the counter and they're mm-hmm. going to be fine on, on like you say, um, at the end of the week that you made them um, also. And, you know, they do feel a little more breakfasty because they have the dried fruit and the nuts. And um, I've been familiar with like a breakfast cookie that's more kind of like an amped up oatmeal cookie almost, but like a uh-huh. softer cookie. So mm-hmm. um, I'm interested to try this one and I hopefully can whip that up pretty quickly because I don't need to go to the store. So yeah. so remember, we'll post this recipe, um, links to it on our website, on our Facebook page, on Pinterest, and we hope you'll bake along with us uh, this week and post your success or failure and your pictures to our preheated podcast Facebook page. We love seeing what you guys uh, do with our recipes and how they turn out. We definitely do. Well, Andrea, we're going to dip back into the Preheated Podcast Book Club. It's been a little while. I know that that doesn't mean you and I haven't been reading. I have been reading up a storm. I'm sure you have too. But some recent topics that um, we have read include food. So we thought we would pass those along to listeners. And I wanted to talk about a book that got a lot of press when it came out and a lot of reviews, and it's called Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Dandler. And I was really excited to read this. I read it on a vacation recently. And just so you know, I read this book in its entirety on the first leg of the airplane journey. So it did not take me long. It's a very quick read. But my review is more of a cautionary tale. (laughs) (laughs) So this is kind of a Romana Clef, which means like a thinly veiled memoir. And it's about a young woman, Tess, who comes to the Big Apple, New York City, to work in the restaurant industry. And the author herself worked at the Union Street Cafe in New York Mm -hmm. City. Yeah. And so the, the protagonist, Tess, is kind of, you know, your quintessential coming-of-age story in the restaurant industry. Um, I just think if the restaurant industry, if this is true, I may never eat out again. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. It's kind it's of sounding sad. like when I read Spiced, and I was kind of oh. horrified by some of the things that she talked about, about the conditions in the kitchen and the way people are treated. And yeah, and everyone's on drugs. And, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. um, my other problem with this book, and, and not to sound too much of a goody two-shoes, I, I'm sure I do a fine job enough of that already, Um the author knows a word, and it starts with F, and she likes to use it a lot. And I just grow tiresome of that. I don't know if it's just my age or I just, you know, a well-placed F-bomb can really work for me, but not when it's right. just constant. Yeah. So yeah. Um, at any rate, impact. Yeah. that's when you see a lot because it's definitely um, been been out there and, and has gotten some um, really great press when it, when it came out. But 
just my little little cautionary cautionary tale on on that one. So okay, good to yes. know. Yeah. Well, my book that I want to contribute is one that I have not yet taken the leap to buy. So I'm interested in feedback from any listeners who maybe have. Um, it's called The Food Lab, and mm, yeah. it is written by um, J. Kenji Lopez Alt, and you might know him. Um, he is the director over at Food 52, or um, I'm sorry, not Food 52, but Serious Eats. Yes. Dot com. Yep. And so um, I, that's where I've tried most of his recipes is on SeriousEats.com. And I love his recipes because he'll often have a section at the beginning that will say why this works. And it'll have a couple of bullet points that sort of explain the science behind the recipe. And then he'll talk about your active time making the recipe versus the total time. So you kind of know, you know, like when we were talking in episode 21 about the coin, I mean, yes, Total time, it's all day, but active time, you're only about an hour to an hour and a half. Yeah, which is a really helpful distinction. It is. Um, The reason I haven't purchased this book, I'm frightened by the size. It is 961 pages long. Um, It's described as his magnum opus (laughs) numerous times. So it's like, where am I even going to find space for this and put it? Um, It did win the 2016 James Beard Award for General Cooking. It won the IACP Cookbook of the Year Award. I think you know, it's honestly, it's the subtitle that turns me off a little bit, which is Better Home Cooking Through Science. And it's odd because I do think the recipes are better because of that science bent, but they're less enjoyable for me. It sort of mm-hmm. takes the mystery out. It takes the that piece of it of like, you'll know it's done when it's done by the smell or by the touch or the, you know, not yeah. because it's you've got your probe in it and it's a precision 132.7 degrees. Um, so I resist that sort of cooking a little bit. It's not my favorite way to approach cooking. He also has a column or has had a column in Cooking Light magazine. Yes. Yeah, that's the, that's mostly how I know him. And I swear, I swear he was on America's Test Kitchen for a little while. Oh, okay. And maybe um, that was before he yeah. started his um his own show or I or you know, his own venture. Um at any rate, you're right. I mean, that um our Queen Amon recipe is, is kind of a someplace I would have maybe liked a little more science for them to have said, oh, you mm-hmm. know, these should grow in your cup and here's why, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I also love the, the mystery of the, you know, kind of magic that happens in the in the kitchen and in your oven. And too much of that, yeah, does ruin the magic. I agree. Yeah. But, yeah. So if anyone has this and says, no, Andrea, it's really worth it, uh, go buy that 961-page book. <laughs> I'll probably do it. Um, otherwise, gosh, so he publishes so much on SeriousEats.com. It's kind of hard to even, you know, take that extra step when you can get so many good recipes online. Well, you could always use it to like weigh down, you know, do you ever dry leaves or anything like that? <laughs> Craft projects. <laughs> Straighten out a poster. Like it can be your go-to weight. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Doorstop. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we continue our breakfast bakes with a week of savory treats. I know you're excited, Andrea. We'll have a delicious yogurt biscuit and a spicy, cheesy scone to choose from. We'll also share some of our Facebook fans' morning favorites. 
Hey, don't you love our theme music? It's by Anne-Marie Russell featuring Nathan Eklund on trumpet. You can find Anne-Marie's music at annemarierussell.com or on Amazon or iTunes. And remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. We'd also love it if you reviewed the show. That will help other folks find us. So until next week, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Heated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.